What is up, everyone? My name is Brandon First, aka First Report, representing the ESBC Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, August 12th, 2020. Uh, it is Wednesday, so that means it is time for myself and 2016 Junior College Tennis Coach of the Year, Brandon Lupian, to break down the top betting stories of the week uh, in a show that I always enjoy because, as I say all the time, it's the only show on our network that um, covers kind of an umbrella of everything. Um, but before we get into the show, let's give you a rundown of everything that we have coming up uh, throughout the week as, look, we have content dropping for you every day of the week, um, most times twice a day. So obviously Wednesday, you know what's going on today. We move to Thursday and in the morning around uh, 12 o'clock uh, uh, Eastern Standard Time, 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time is uh, Matt Bird and his weekly corruption chat from St. Petersburg, where he's so, so influential. Uh, and then also on Thursday, myself and Raider Jim are hosting a call to post our weekly Del Mar horse racing uh, podcast, where we give you everything you need to know about the weekend of Del Mar or the upcoming weekend of Del Mar, all in a nice little episodic dose. And then we move to Friday where look, there's a lot of uncertainty going on in college football, but you don't need to worry about that here. We know the SEC is going to be playing football in the fall. So we're going to tackle that this Friday, get you ready while everyone else is freaking out what's going on. We're going to do our research and we're going to make you money and we're going to get you ready to make money when college football rolls around, at least the SEC, the big 12 and the ACC and the AAC others among others. And then, uh, Saturday, really, really fun time. Everything that we learned and we talked about with Raider Jim on Thursday, we take and we act uh, on it. On Saturday is myself and Josh, as he helps out as well. Um, I, I, I break down horse racing. I, I show you how to handicap everything that's going on in Del Mar, and we do it live. We're betting on that moment. Um, usually goes about two or three, four hours. It's always a lot of fun. It's always a lot to learn. Uh, and, and there's also other things as well. It's not all just horse racing. Josh obviously comes in uh, for, to give me a break here and there and always has a ton of things to keep us interested as well, if that is not always your thing. And then we move to Sunday, which is all about baseball. We break it up with myself and Brianna Winner. We enter the winner's circle as she joins me, and we break down Major League Baseball as a whole in one whole podcast, and then Southern California. The three teams, obviously, the Angels, the Padres, and the Dodgers. Myself, huge Padre fan. The Angels, that's the winner's circle, Brianna's territory. And the Dodgers, look, neither of us like the Dodgers, but we're professionals, and we're also very, very smart. And we've been watching baseball for a very, very long time. So we will give you what's going on with the Dodgers in an unbiased fact, even if we have to go throw up later. But that's what we're doing for you. On Monday, we move on with Josh and the newest addition to the ESBC Podcast Network, Sarah Lynn Robinson. Uh, Sarah has already, I mean, it's been two weeks and she's already been absolutely invaluable uh, in helping Josh analyze the NBA. And with the bubble um, opening up and then playoffs right around the corner, it's going to make our run even more dominant. And finally, Tuesday, Josh and Jason Maverick, they are going to talk business and financial literacy through, uh, during this recession to help, you know, help the uh, waging inequality and everything through sports betting. So look, we have it covered from start to finish. 
Um, but let's go all the way back to where I started, back to today, back to Wednesday, talking about all the stories that have happened through the past week uh, and the betting consequences of that. Uh, I welcome in 2016 California te- uh, Junior College Coach, California Coach of the Year. How are you doing tonight, Coach Lupian? I'm doing great. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, and thank you for what's scheduled ahead for the podcast uh, throughout the week. Uh, it's a great, uh, great addition. So our current listeners and our new listeners have an idea of what to expect. So everything's going uh, good and smooth here. It's nice and warm down there. But um, hey, let's, uh, let's continue a topic where we kind of touched on last week when I brought up what the Pac-12 players are doing in regards to them not wanting to uh, to play without certain demands being met. Now the entire Pac-12 and the entire big, big 12 just <laughs> they're canceling their season, postponing spring. You know? So the dominoes are certainly falling. The FBS has canceled their Division II playoff. Dominoes are continuing the fall. Sent a great tweet to us. Thank goodness that they didn't cancel the regular season because there's plenty of regular season games for us to analyze, break down, bet on picks to uh, for ourselves and for our great listeners. So we got Ben Ratzlaff from Houston yeah, Baptist ben Football. Ratzlaff. He comes up every Wednesday. Faith Family Football from the F- FCS. So that's why we were happy they did not cancel the regular season. He started practice yesterday. There you go. From the man himself, out of the bullpen. Yeah, you know, it's, I think at the end of the day with the Pac-12 canceling, um, the Big Ten canceling, um, obviously others, the MAC canceling, and then obviously it seems as if the AAC, the ACC, and the SEC, and the Big 12 seem to be the only ones that are, obviously the Big 12 just goes completely against the trend today and goes, hey, everyone else, what, yesterday everyone canceled their season? Well, here's our schedule. I mean, just the ultimate kind of thumb in the nose. But you know what? Good for that. Good for that conference. And I think this is a problem that isn't COVID-related, folks. This is a situation that was created by COVID. Okay, that was created by COVID. But this, we are in August. It is August. Let's all remember, let's go back to what, mid-March? Okay, NCAA basketball, obviously, look, hard press. They had to can- – it was unfortunate. The things happened. It had to be canceled. Mm-hmm. It has been five months. And now college football has decided, nope, we can't do it. While every other league is doing this, and, and I understand there's well, – Not all college football, not- just the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Well, yeah, um, well, the, and the Mountain West and the MAC and pretty much everybody who isn't the four conferences I brought up earlier. But the, what, what but half sure. of co- let, let's say that's two of the upper tier and two of the lower tier. But the rest, uh, they're still playing. Okay, okay. well, either way, either way, what should have happened was, you know, three months ago, it should have been brought up to all the Division One schools that play football. Look. These are the guidelines. This is everything that you have to do to play D1 football this year in the fall. Are you? Then nobody to- knew what, but nobody knew the side effects. Yeah, or yeah I know. What's going just, on with just, COVID? Let me just uh, let me just throw out everything, and then you can break it apart. But let me just throw it all out there. <laughs> um, and so, what should have been done was a talk of who's in, who's out. 
If you're able to do it, great. If not, okay, we'll see you next year. Obviously, they're, hey, your, your kids are going to be frustrated. It's unfortunate. But the, the people that are in, everything you got to do, great. You put in the Board of Governors or whatever corrupt officials they want to get together, take a week. They decide, okay, you know, hey, Missouri, maybe you got to play uh, in the, the Western Conference, whatever we want to call it, for this one year. Because these are, you know, what we have to do for travel restrictions. And these are the schools that are ready to go because USC can play football right now under these guidelines financially. Right. Oregon State cannot. Is it Oregon State's fault? Not necessarily. It's unfortunate. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe they could have gone balls to the wall in football, but you know, there are other things, believe me, that I'm sure would have been lost in the shuffle. Believe me. Baseball, if we're talking about baseball, Oregon State's saying, hey, we're playing number we're, one. We're playing right. Yeah. But I just think that it was uh, it was the the peep the powers that be like Josh says the the ivory tower folks who have been sitting on their butts for five months who have dis who have refused to do the hard work and refused to look out for the student athletes do any what the hell's new yeah they don't want to do their work they'd rather wait 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 and then blame and, and say oh health or player safety is our biggest player safety has never been your number one goal let's hide behind and, that ever. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Not even close. It's, 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 it's disgusting that they would hide behind it when they've never done it in the past. So it's very transparent and good for the conferences that are forging ahead. Because you know what? They obviously have a plan. They are ready to go. Um, and honestly, I think it's cowardly. I think it's cowardly what happened. I'm not, dismantle, I'm not dismissing the, the severity of this, but we're talking about college kids um, that I believe are, are safer and in a better uh, environment in their college teams than wherever their homes, their home houses or places of enjoyment may be. Believe me, if I was playing football or baseball at wherever, I definitely would have less of a chance to go out with my buddies. If I was back at home, you know, you send me home where you think I'm just going to sit in my room and toss a baseball right. around. Come on now. I'm going to go out with my buddies. I'm going to do some stupid stuff. You're 22 years old. I mean, 20, most of these are kids are 20 and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, everyone makes bad decisions at 20. Hopefully you don't make really bad decisions, but you know, it is what it is. And it's very so frustrating because there's kids that are, their lives are, they're, they're, are, are ruined now because they didn't want to get up and do hard work. Right. So let's talk about a bubble. NBA's doing a bubble. NHL's done a bubble. MLS is doing a bubble. What about you guys? What about these your co These college coaches, these college coaches, like Saban, we talked about, Bang early, he wants to create a bubble for his squad. You know, already in the bubble. <laughs> and uh, it's better, like you're saying, as a college player, to be with their squad under supervision, right? Instead of that, let's blow bubbles, and they're bubbled all over the place. Where they're from? Just get them under that one umbrella and bubble. Make sure that they're proctored right. Make sure that they're protected right. Make sure that they're look after right nutrition wise because all these guys eat they're all on a nutrition you know plan with college and, and they're supervised with their coaches and their training staffs and strength and conditioning guys and then they all have their their for their classes so i mean keep them in a bubble keep them in a bubble let them do them what what is your conference doing we are still under the assurance of Everyone will be starting in the spring. Um, okay. They actually split, split the spring in a spring one and spring two. So my season would normally start 
that last week of January, first week of February. Now we will be starting last week of March, first week of April, competition-wise. And then that's the beginning of spring two. Anything prior to is where all the fall sports got moved into the spring season and will be considered spring one. So, um, the hard part is our conference schedule is not out for any so the difficulty of selling non-conference uh, opponents and, and building our RPI and getting exposure to tougher competition um, and filling the number of little contests we could host um, is a little harder, a little stressful right now without our conference schedule workaround. And that's with all sports, emails and texts from uh, that small circle of coaches that I like to work with and compete against in the non-conference and I just I just got to be honest with them until we get our spring schedule or our seed schedule I just can't commit to anything they're very understanding um and that's kind of why I keep them in my circle um so that's what we're doing on our level and uh, the NCAA hiding behind this player's student athlete safety first is is kind of a crock since like first report mentioned earlier you know, uh, student athletes were never the first uh, of their priorities in how long. So, well, the, the NCAA, see, the, the thing is, especially from a betting standpoint, people got to realize two things from a betting standpoint. Number one is that the NCAA is on its last legs. Uh, and it started a while back when the Bull Championship Series is independent. So they make $100 million a year, and they don't share it with the NCAA. So that's $100 million less that the NCAA has. Uh, the other problem they have is uh, Adam Silver and the one and done. They're going after uh, the big money maker, which is the Final Four. They want to water it down. They want anybody, top 50 guys coming out of high school, they want them to go through an NBA funnel instead of college funnel. It's not going to completely work, but it's going to cost them money. But – like the pandemic has done in many areas, like the pandemic accelerated people working from home. It's accelerating uh, the lack of revel uh, relevance for the uh, NCAA. And when the 64 Super Conference comes out, they're going to be independent from the NCAA. So that being said, uh, Pac-12s, and you will make a lot of money, right? Because, uh, because Larry not Larry, whatever his name is, uh, Larry Scott, since he's such a horrible uh, commissioner, I've made a lot of money when uh, the Pac-12 goes on the road. Uh, Memphis drilled UCLA, I cashed. Uh, so on, we can go on and on and on. And uh, I just make money doing that because he's incompetent. And then you bet against, uh, unless it's Ohio State, but even Ohio State's had its problems, you bet against the, the Big Ten in bowl games. Why? Uh, because that old man sucks, and now the black guy sucks as commissioners. So those are two pansy-ass, pencil-geek conferences that, except for USC, uh, Michigan, and Ohio State, uh, I wouldn't bet money on them unless it's uh, Row Your Boat or Wisconsin and the team that they can handle from a money standpoint. When you look at that, the other part of it from a betting standpoint you got to look at is that uh, first reporter and I have been going through every team. And now uh, I was kind of, I was like, man, it was a, a four hour podcast that I cut into 
a two hour and 50 minute podcast. And I'm like, man, this is still long, but now it's very relevant. For whatever reason, our instincts told myself and Dr. First to do a detailed study on the Big 12. And anything you ever wanted to know about the Big 12 is on that podcast. And we talked a lot about uh, which games we're going to go under, which games we're going to go over, which teams we're going to cover when. And I even have it in my mind, right? Uh, Dr. First made a big deal about Kansas going to Texas Tech because they had got blown out the year before. So you're going to bet Texas Tech, right? So from a betting standpoint, when you start processing all of that, uh, I would suggest you to, from a betting standpoint, go to Google and type in transfer portal and start watching, especially uh, the bottom 80% of the Big Ten and the bottom 80% of the Pac-12. Watch these guys go on the transfer portal and watch where they go to and how they fit. I know from a USF standpoint, uh, we got five great transfers. Uh, we got 10 guys uh, from high school who figured to start or play a lot of time. So now we get five more guys in the transfer portal. You're talking about a whole new team. You're, talk, you're talking about USF having, keeping um, the top 22, keeping 10 they could play, and then adding 20 more guys to that uh, to give us depth. I say us because I pay $10,000 to the university every year. It's not that I have a mouse in my pocket. So we're going to be a lot better, different team. And Jeff Scott, he just pulled a wide receiver from South Carolina. Why? Because he coached Deshaun Johnson. He recruited him and recruited DeAndre Hopkins. And um, Dr. First's favorite white wide receiver, Hunter Renfro the place for the Oakland Raiders. He's also Raider, Raider Jim's favorite white wide receiver. Right? Dr. First loves all those white, white receivers and white running backs. I don't get it. I've never, I don't know if I've ever brought up, I like Hunter Renfro, the baseball player. Is that the joke? Is that the joke that I like? Because I like Hunter Renfro. That's a bit, they had the same name too, right? Well, Hunter yeah, Renfro well, no, plays for the, says same name and plays for the, for the Padres. Yeah, yeah. He, no, I loved Hunter. Uh, Hunter Renfro, the baseball player, used to play for the Padres, but I don't know if I've ever... You pronounce it the same way. Yeah, no, yeah, it's like R-O, or one of them's O-W and the other is yeah, O-E. Yeah. I know Dr. Yeah. First likes all those white guys. He's, he's always rooting for the white guys, whatever sport that is. Well, there's only like four white wide receivers anyway. One of them is Hunter Renfro. Until week 12 when the Patriots pull two off the scrap heap and all go right, on right, to be, right. you know, cash in uh, $20 million contracts in two years, you know. They'll find a couple of guys out of what? The lacrosse league to just <laughs> run, run over the middle. <laughs> that, was, exactly. uh, that was Belichick's uh, son, right? And Logan was a, yeah, was a lacrosse player at Rutgers, played with his son. That's how he got on the Patriots. Nice. <laughs> I think it's a perfect segue uh, into uh, the NFL. Talking about, uh, we'll start with the NFC South. Yeah. Um, obviously, myself, Brandon Lupian, Brandon Lupian, a huge uh, Saints guy, uh, our Saints expert for the ESBC podcast network, uh, Eagles, myself. So we'll look at both those divisions today in terms of the over-unders for the wins for each individual team. Uh, we'll start in the NFC South with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Nine and a half? Nine and a half. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, you know, um, there, there, there's a lot of hype about an overage to Brady. 
and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discredit his greatness. He just he, he he has the titles, he has the numbers to to stand up to that kind of scrutiny and to that 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 praise. But I think Tampa Bay's their their momentum shift is actually when they hired Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, uh, he had that year off between Tampa Bay and Arizona where he did some really, really good things with a devalued, untalented Arizona squad. And um, they started to build that team up up until that time he left. So I'm a believer in Bruce Arians, the man, Bruce Arians, the coach. And to supply Bruce, Bruce Arians' talented offensive schemes and head coaching ability, yeah, you bring in a guy like Tom Brady who has the proven numbers. You bring in his best target, uh, Gronkowski, who took a season off, got healthy. Who knows what the speed's like right now, but you know strength's there. This dude's uh, he, he's an athletic freak. He's a warrior. So, you know, you, you, you pit those two together and then try to surround those guys with the weapons they have already had. Mike Evans, wide receiver, uh, Curtis Godwin. Josh's Josh's uh, favorite running back from SC um, Jones, um, and I think the only question is, and Josh and I have been texting back and forth and back and forth. Ronald Jones might get cut though. Oh, there, there, there it is. A headline: Ronald Jones might get cut. He's a very offensive, explosive player, but we text back and forth in regards. Well, he can't pass block. They're so he's going to get Brady killed. Their offensive line and pass blocking, and his little philosophy in regards to why those offensive linemen break down throughout the year because of the weather, humidity, and those guys just get sapped and drained, and they come into the season at their best weight possible. And week eleven in, those guys are the same as 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 and as fresh what they used to be. Um, they, the NFC South is littered with. Big time pass rushers um, from every team. They have Cam Jordan. They 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 overdrafted uh, Marcus Davenport. There's talk that Jadavion Clowney signed with the Saints. Carolina has a deep uh, defensive line. ATL addressed theirs in the draft. So Tampa Bay at nine and a half. Yeah, you know, um, could that team? I don't see why they can't. Um, as far as what they do against the Saints as the team in the division the last three years, they probably give them the biggest run for their money um, in both games. You know, offensively, they, it's a shootout. So it, it'll be interesting. Um, the Saints are the Saints have a 10-game, you know, they're favored by 10 games. Hopefully so, given the talent they have on that squad. But it's going to be the hurdle of the past three seasons that it's either going to make or break this season and um, Breeze's career. Yeah. I, that's in that seven and a half. Mm-hmm. They've addressed their interior line difficulties on the offensive and defensive line. You know, the, their wide receiver core is top five in the league. You know, Matt Ryan, the steady quarterback, he's a former MVP. His to the Super Bowl years ago. I think Carolina is the mystery team. They bring in a college coach that has a great offensive offensive philosophy. 
They have a new quarterback in Teddy. Um, Riverboat Ron's gone, and, and his discipline and and his the detail on the defensive side. They're only number five, so yeah, they're not really giving Carolina much credit. But who knows? You just don't know what to expect from a new coaching staff and season to season. You know, football other than any other sport could change from season to season, where you have this loop team and they make a run. And um, the South, NFC South, is just as tough as any other conference in the NFL. The top bottom are all playing for something. Not like the AFC West where you got KC and then everybody else, you know? So interesting, interesting numbers to look at. Very, very interesting. For me, you know, Tampa nine and a half, I – I'm I'm kind of I'm cool on the whole Tampa Bay side of things. I know they have a ton of to, uh, of weapons offensively, and obviously Tom Brady um, over Jameis Winston is uh, mentally a massive, massive upgrade. Uh, I just I wonder what we saw from Tom Brady. Was that just maybe him being done, you know, tired of playing with the Patriots, that. But he was not good last year. He was a average quarterback at best. Um, and I look at Tampa Bay as an under. And Carolina is interesting to me. I think Carolina has a chance to be last year's uh, Dolphins. Okay. Kind of a team that everyone just was like, eh, whatever. Yeah. And, no expectation. So, look, Carolina could go 0-16, and unless they're absolutely disastrous, even if they're disastrous, they're not firing Matt Rule. That's a mm-hmm. lot of leeway. And the same thing for, this, um, for Brian Flores last year. And I honestly think Carolina has more talent than – I mean, Dolphins. Christian McCaffrey by himself right. might win you four games. Right. I think Carolina over is smart um, – I'd like four and a half. Four and a half would be really nice because um, I do. I could see a push there at five and eleven, and that would be nice. Um, Atlanta, I actually like Atlanta going over, and I like New Orleans going over. Atlanta, if you look at Atlanta's losses last year, and maybe not late, but early, they were competitive. Matt Ryan, like you would think, hey, that team's what were they like one in? I mean, they they were pretty rough at a certain point, and you looked, and Matt Ryan was. A, pretty damn good they found more ways to lose than i think i've ever seen and um seven and a half is tough but hold a gun to my head that's what i would go with there uh i have over for the saints i think the saints are uh going to win 12 10 or 12 games, games. I, I have a 12 game total on them yeah. but you know i'm glad you brought up atl and what they did after promoting raheem morris to to the defensive coordinating position and and, and that's something that josh would weekly in our NFL podcast. You guys need to go back and listen to those. Those are great for you as far as what's coming up to uh, the 2020-21 season. And you could pick up on why we, we think or, or go with certain teams. So check those check those out. But, yeah, when he got promoted to D.C., it was just a whole different mindset. And um, speaking of mindset, you brought up Tom Brady versus Jameis Winston. That team was missing some maturity coming from the head of the snake. And now you got Tom Brady, who you're not going to question Tom Brady. 
You're not going to question his maturity. You're not going to question his decision making. You're not going to question his leadership value versus what does what Josh call him? The, the Florida State criminal? Because yeah. <laughs> he has impulse problems and he's with the Saints. But I'm going to tell you right now, some of the stuff that I've seen from Jameis Winston, and, and, and we all, best Saints fans, he doesn't get any run. But this dude is ready to play. He looks easily 20 pounds lighter. He looks easily a step faster. His arm, it, it, his arm is stronger than Breeze. I'm not going to question the accuracy. You know, he, he, he's really come in. And that's great as a Saints fan. And that's great. Winston has pretty much taken the season for next year's contract. That's what it is. That's what it is, and good for him. I'm, I'm glad. I'm satisfied with what I've seen of him and his season regimen. You know, it, it, it can't be questioned. Can't be questioned. But and there is something to be said, too. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think Jameis Winston's ever going to be a Rhodes Scholar or anything, but mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to grow up in a – He had a 4.0 at Florida State. He's actually a very intelligent, smart guy. His okay. SATs were like 1,500. He's well, a smart guy. What he is is a sociopath. He's one of those guys that acts good for a while just to fool people and then uh, loses it. Well, um, when, when, when he snaps that ball, there are times where I wonder if there's anything in between those years. I mean, there's, yeah. it's, it's, it's bad. Like, there are times where you I, – I, I almost um, feel for – I think it was Dirk Cutter was there, right? Like, yeah. just how do you – how do you just try and figure out what, what, what was going on there? Like, what was the thought process? I feel like sometimes for him on the football field, um, it was probably dealing sometimes with like a high school quarterback in terms of the reads and the decisions that he made. Well, no, it's, it's like emotions. People could go listen to the Tuesday podcast because when you get into the panic motion of your brain, you can't think straight. And that's his problem. It's always been his problem. Not just the bad Tampa Bay line. He did that at Florida State. When he panics, his eyes get crazy, and boom, he does crazy stuff. Now, he has a strong arm, but the problem is the long delivery. He's never helped the long delivery. And then another thing he does, and 95% of people don't lack the capacity to change. That's why I bring this up. He And, and you can look at it, Coach, because he's going to be playing for you in preseason. Does he pat the ball? He has a long delivery to begin with. So if you pat the ball and then you have a long delivery – uh, maybe high school and college you can get away with that, but not in the pros. Not with, uh, not, not with the defensive linemen in this conference and throughout the league. Absolutely. Move on to the NFC North, right? That's where we're uh, at. No, NFC East. NFC East, my bad. There we go. Go for it. Where else uh, Dr. First is going to go other than the NFC East? Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, look, you never, ever bet blindly. But – If there is ever a bet that you can take blindly and feel okay about, it is, without knowing the number, take the under on the Dallas Cowboys win total every year. It's nine times out of 10 because no team can go and, and, and do one thing. And it is the difference maker in all of it. Um, Somehow CD lamb is going to get Dak Prescott to be a consistent, good, a consistent quarterback. Um, they're at 10. The Cowboys are at 10. Eagles, nine and a half. Giants, six and a half. Um, 
I almost said that team name. They don't exist anymore. The Washington football team at five. Um, I, for, for me, obviously, look, for the Eagles, my bias bleeds through that. Um, and maybe in a certain way also with the Cowboys. But I think everybody can agree with me that year in and year out, no team is usually more overrated than the Dallas Cowboys. Um, so 10 wins for me for a team that last year was pretty bad towards the end. And I know is Mike McCarthy enough to bring him in? I think the bigger question is what Jason Garrett, the problem, I don't think he was the full problem, but I can tell you one thing. He definitely wasn't the solution. So, so you know, and, and he's, there's a chance that Jason Garrett is a North Turner, a Wade Phillips, a um, insert really, really good coordinator. Yeah. Or even, you know, or even Dick LeBeau, Dick LeBeau, and then got a chance in the head coaching. And it was with Cincinnati. Nobody outside of Marvin Lewis really excelled there, but in those situations, it's, it's hard for me to think that Mike McCarthy is going to push this team over the edge. Now, they can eat up, beat up, I should say, on the Giants and Redskins and maybe get uh, a certain situation, get over that 10. I'm not seeing it. Um, in terms of the Giants, six and a half, it all comes down to how this team can utilize and protect to a certain degree Saquon Barkley. Now, 100%. he's the best player, or he's, the, he's, I'm sorry, he's the best player on that team. But so while you want to get him the ball at every possible opportunity, you also have to understand if he goes down, there is a really good chance your season or whatever hopes you had also go down with it. It's a tough balance to go through. And um, Brandon texted me and reminded me about this earlier. Jason Garrett, obviously, I just talked about him. He's in New York. Uh, he is the offensive coordinator, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, and yes. Freddie Kitchens is there as well. I believe either quarterbacks coach or, you know, a position coach or maybe a consultant. That's a situation that. That's a huge betting nugget. We're going to look it up right now. Where's Freddie Kitchens at? Did you start betting against him right now? Yeah. And, and we're in a situation in October um, or I'm sorry, in August to where. We're trying to figure that part of it out. Now, six and a half, like I said, with the Giants, Saquon Barkley. I don't think it's quite the same situation as Christian McCaffrey. Because Christian McCaffrey think... can can just nope. look at There his... we go. Your favorite white running back, Christian McCaffrey. Oh, the only white running back, by the way, besides Peyton Hillis. And the greatest white running back ever um, that I've ever seen. I know people are screaming Riggins right now. I never saw him. I'm a little too young for that. But um, I uh, – um, with the Giants, they have too many problems. Like Christian McCaffrey, no matter how you get him the ball, you can put him in the punt return. Now it's not not a smart thing to do, but uh, put him in those situations to get him the ball. Saquon Barkley, definitely not that dual threat that uh, McCaffrey is. Still very good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Um, we're kind of splitting hairs here. I think probably two of the best running backs in the league. But six and a half for me is a bit high on the Giants, unless. Uh, Daniel Jones really takes a step forward for the Redskins at five is Ron Rivera 
Dwayne Haskins. Now, Dwayne Haskins, I thought, now I'm, I'm probably going to be off base on this, but I, there's still time for this to come to fruition. But I really did think that in terms of arm talent, Dwayne Haskins was the best of all the kids that came out uh, in that draft, just pure arm talent. Um, okay. Maybe other things he missed, but they finally gave him a shot. Now, Alex Smith, you know, he's still kind of there. Obviously he would be expected to come back. I haven't really heard a whole lot. Um, that'll be an interesting, you know, thing to follow, but Chase Young as an Eagles fan scares the daylights out of me because the man is a freak. He's yeah. a freak of nature and he could be, you know, he could be um, a bust. I really, really, really don't think so. Washington has some pieces and they have a good coach. Um, five wins. I think you could probably feel okay going over there. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You could probably feel okay going under, but I could also see week 17 Chase Young strip sack on Dak Prescott. That just blows everything up for you on both sides, you know, with the, with the Cowboys. Maybe you went over with the Cowboys and under with the Redskins and the Redskins get to six wins and keeps the Cowboys at nine. I could see something like that happening. Um, it, this is a tough one to call. I honestly think the NFC South for me, I could lock those four in right now. I, I feel pretty confident about um, my picks there in this one. Obviously I can't really say anything about the Eagles because I'm way too biased, but, and probably even, somewhat with the Cowboys. I have to, I have to recognize my bias and how much I hate them, but the Giants and Redskins for me, I think are both safe unders. It's going to be tough for them to win any games against the Cowboys and Eagles because the Cowboys and Eagles know that they have to absolute, nobody can, neither of those teams can lose to either the Giants or the Redskins. Like that's rule number one. That is the first thing that's written in Sharpie on the whiteboards that won't be erased is you cannot lose any game to the Giants or Redskins, period. That's the only thing. And then everything else goes from there. It's like Fight Club, you know, the first rule of the NFC East 2020, you don't lose to the Giants or the Redskins. <laughs> so at that whole thing, we've established that Saquon Barkley not four games good as McCaffrey. Well, and to be fair, if if the if the Panthers were at six and a half, I would take yeah. the Panthers under. Right. You know, talking about the numbers, that's a different number for that's each. A big time. You know, there's a big difference between seven and nine and five and eleven. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Here's our guy Freddie Kitchens. What's he gonna bring? Who What's he gonna bring to to uh, the Giants' Austin offensive skill set? That's interesting. He, he he's so, gonna be the tight ends coach. So I'm sure they're gonna keep him far away from the game plan. He's just coaching the tight ends, make sure they're they're in there to block and there's a pass pattern towards them to they catch it. I don't think he can do too much. But going back, I have a question for Coach Lupian. Uh, during the riots. You've seen uh, the statues of Confederate uh, generals be taken down. Uh, even Frederick Douglass's statue got taken down by the other side. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel there's going to be riots at the Tampa Bay uh, Saints game? Because they're going to have, they're going to feature two white racist statues starting. <laughs> That's messed up. That's messed up. <laughs> It's unfortunate because there's just not going to be fans. I love you. 
There's just not going to be fans at the game. Sorry, that was my son exiting. Uh, no, I'm talking about writers. These aren't fans. These are writers. The only way you can go outside these days is if you riot, right? right. If you're going to go to the beach, you wear a Black Lives Matter shirt, and you'll be you fine with your tent. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way you can go to the beach or else you can be taken out. Right. So that, that's going to be interesting. You're going to have two white racist statutes playing that day. And um, I predict it might be rights outside of New Orleans uh, as the only people that can go outside in New Orleans during that time are going to be people with Black Lives Matter shirts. Yeah, and there's plenty of, of those floating around. So, um, Football talk, great. What's Charlie Black doing? Goodness, 564 ABs? Like, it's unbelievable. Honestly, unbelievable. Like, Tatis is really taking attention away from anything else MLB, except for the fact that the Cardinals have only still played five games, right? But um, 500. Now, is this an asterisk course if he finishes these in above 400? I hate Charlie Blackman, by the way. I, oh, he's, he's an absolute Padre killer. He is unbelievable. He probably has – to a uh, hundred at bats against the Padres and is hitting 480 with, with everything. I mean, he is the absolute Padre killer. I never ever wish ill will on anyone. And I, as far as I've heard, Charlie Blackman is a good guy, but retire or get the hell out of the division, sir. Uh, <laughs> I have a voodoo doll of only Charlie Blackman, I swear. But anyways, um, when it comes to Charlie Blackman, look, it was brought up before the season asked, should there be an asterisk? And now, if we're, we're speaking literally, I don't think an asterisk is going to be needed because if you see, hey, so-and-so did it the year 2020, up, I'd say for at least the next 50 years, you're going to need, you're going to know, oh, it was 2020. You know, they, I don't think you need to kind of know like, oh, that was pro I wonder that, if that was a weird year. Like, no, it was 2020. That was some weird juju going on. Yeah. Um, Automatic, automatic, automatic. Yeah, but to that point, and back to the NFL, and back to baseball, from a betting standpoint, you have to check the house rules on Bovada, MyBookieAG, Intertops, if you place the bet at a casino. Because if, let's say you're betting something on Charlie Blackman, or you're betting, let's say, the under on Carolina, if one game is suspended, do you get your money back? Some casinos will say yes. Some online bookies will say yes. Some will say no. There's Some something from a betting have... standpoint people got to look at. You got to look at those house rules, especially with those NFL over-unders, because I guarantee you there's going to be one week that's going to be suspended, one team that's going to be suspended for whatever reason. It could be nothing COVID-related. It just could be weather. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up suspensions because we t- I, I touched on what the heck going on with the Cardinals and their games being only like it's, are we talking double and triple headers where there might have to be five inning games what and then what stop. I believe is so I mean right now yeah the Cardinals and Marlins um are, are looking at September 15th till about September 26th going whoa uh, how are we going to get through that? Um, at the moment, I believe the Cardinals are going to have to play 56 games in 45 days, um, which is just nuts. Um, yeah. Now, however, I 
think what now what should happen and versus what will happen when it comes to MLB is different. But what <laughs> should happen is the, the, I think it's okay if the Cardinals play 52 to 55 games. You know, let's go with win percentages. It's 2020. Eight teams are getting into the playoffs. I mean, right now, currently, <coughs> excuse me, under this situation with if you finish your first or second in your division, you're automatically in. The Cardinals are two and three. They are a playoff team, folks, because of the, the win percentage. They are a playoff team. <laughs> like they put up the graphic for teams in the playoffs. They didn't even put games behind or anything like that. I think right now, baseball is just kind of like winging it. Hey, you know, are, are the Cardinals going to be able to play on Friday? That's another question. Obviously, it seems like all systems go. But when that happens, then what? Um, does Is this over? Are we done with this? Because if it happens again, especially to the Cardinals or Marlins, that it exactly. might just be one of those things where, you know, you play as many games as, we, as you can. And who knows, maybe you, you play a situation, a play-in game. I'm not sure, but... Right now, the official word from Manfred. What right if now, you're number nine? Yeah, but officially right now, you guys can comment on this. What Manfred said is they're going to play double headers, seven-inning double headers, until they matched up. The problem is, is that he's saying that now. We don't know if any more games are going to be canceled. Well, yeah, and, and that's a perfect world. We all live in that perfect world, and it's not anywhere near 2020. And I think uh, Manfred is is doing him a disservice at this point. Um, the, the Cardinals are, at this point, maybe better off not making the playoffs because I look at Jack Flaherty. He's 26, 20, 25, 26 years old. You want that guy to possibly – I mean, you're going to have to have – if you play a 10 days, you play 10 games in six days, you're going to need eight, nine starters, maybe right. 10, not to mention bullpen. I don't know. The only thing that I could see if they do that, what they would have to do for the Cardinals is open up their roster a little bit. Give them 32 guys. It's the only fair thing to do. Now, are you going to sit here and punish the players because they went out? Okay, that's fine. But we're not – I don't think it's fair to put these the rest of these players' careers in jeopardy to prove a point. Uh, I think it's incredibly unfair. Now, once again, what should be done versus what will be done when it comes to Major League Baseball? Polar opposite. So we'll see what happens. I think for right now, what baseball is doing is what's in front of us. You know, the Cardinals are going to play – I think it's the Pirates. Is, or no, the, that's who they were supposed to play. Um, I think it was the Cubs. They're supposed to play the Cubs on Friday. Right. We'll wake up Friday morning. If it's on, it's on. If not – then it's probably going to be a problem, but it, everything seems like it's going to go. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I, 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 I'm very, very interested to see the Cardinals just come back, period. Not, not anything specific, just, wait, Paul Goldschmidt, I remember him. Oh, yeah. Yadier Molina, that's right, Jack Flaherty. He's yeah. on my fantasy team. That's why my K's a bit down, you know, the last four weeks, you know. <laughs> so just things like that, and – um, hopefully, like I said, as a baseball fan, it'll be a thing where, oh man, remember, isn't that that crazy situation where the Cardinals and Marlins had to figure it out? Um, it's not a perfect situation. It's 2020. If everybody wants these things to be perfect, tough, tough sledding, man, go, 
go play solitaire. Maybe that'll be perfect for you. I don't know. It's 2020. You take the best you can get. Um, But going back to Charlie Blackman and the asterisk. Yeah. I don't, 60 games. If he plays in 55 of those games, if he, I mean, yeah, I don't think you need an asterisk to do that in a 60 game season period is incredible. Charlie Blackman, and in Coors Field, yes, okay. But I'll tell you what, Larry Walker never did it. Todd Helton never did it. Uh, So if it was that easy, everybody will be doing that. Um, So it's it's an interesting situation. But I think it's it's very ironic that we're all, we're, oh, 400 watch, 400 watch. And now we're like, wait, it might need to be 500 watch. Like, we might need to see if this guy hits 500. Right, right. Um, and then, uh, the, but yeah, that, that's the last thing I'll say on Charlie Blackman. Incredible. Yeah. He, if he didn't play for the Rockies, I'd absolutely love him. Right. And I'm not that fan that, like when Dosa and McGuire had their year, I was cheering for them against my Padres. I'm going to cheer for Charlie Blackman if he's in the 500s against my guys forget that but speaking of Padres they've taken the first two in LA after losing series to LA at home um one thing that I'm really impressed with is their offensive run total it's just they had a little lull against teams that now they're they're swinging again against this team that they need to and I'm questioning that focus versus those other teams, that, that at-bat approach versus those other teams that, that, that they're really stressing it against the Dodgers. They're really swinging well, they, uh, taking their pitches. They're really being patient. But my concern is when it's not the Dodgers. Because as you brought up in weeks ago, you guys got to dominate teams like the Giants, right? Like those lower bottom teams. And that's not – what I've seen so far, but against the Dodgers, yeah, there's a series against the Dodgers, but that's not to say that they didn't compete because certainly did compete higher against the Dodgers than all the other teams bars. Well, we one two to LA. Who's on the mound today? Who's on the bump tonight? We got um Zach Davies and it's Zach uh Gosselin, okay. Go, go, yeah, yeah, yeah Gosselin. We'll, we'll have that Dodgers briefing report. But from a betting standpoint, looking at the Padres, uh, what, I, what I find very interesting is the Larry Rothschild effect. He made adjustments on the bullpen because I remember Dr. First rating and reading how bad the, the Padres bullpen was that when the Padres bullpen was supposed to be the strength coming into the season. And I hadn't watched it. I was just taking Dr. First's expert baseball opinion on it. And then when I started following it, this series, uh, I don't think the Padre bullpen's given up more than one run in the first two games coming in. Or, or well, no, no, they haven't. No. Right. So yeah, so Larry Larry Rothschild did a great job adjusting from the last time they played the Dodgers into this series. And that's why he has multiple World Series rings, and, and he's coveted as a pitching coach. Definitely. It's and, and interesting to see how the bullpen is shaping up. And, uh, and uh, last week when there their difficulties, I was like, all right, what's it going to look like at the end of the six games? And gosh darn better be better than what it was last week. 
this week, yeah, it's like uh, like you said, Rothschild made those adjustments to the bullpen. Those guys are just finding really good feeling throwing the ball now. Uh, they haven't thrown the ball competitively. They missed an entire uh, half of spring training. Just going. So bullpens, they need time. Get that arm. Definitely. And, and I've been like, I think we've all been very impressed. Uh, Monday night, we talk about um, here on this podcast, we, you know, betting, betting centric. We talk about obviously the outcome. We, we want to win them all. I know Josh says he, he would get bored if he wins them all. I disagree. I don't care. I will give them all to me. I, I am, I'm greedy. I want to win every single time I try and do absolutely anything. Anyways, on Monday, we bet the Dodgers because we, we had kind of, we saw, look, Luis Perdomo's pitching. I saw Perdomo and I went, uh-oh, I don't want to watch the game. Because I knew one of two things. Look, Perdomo's either going to get ripped and they just need him to go out and get five innings. And no matter what happens, you're getting us 15 outs. Or it was going to be a bullpen game. Yeah. Well, either one of those is not a good uh, situation. So, <laughs> the process of putting the bet in, flawless. And this bullpen goes out and, and just magnificent. I mean, Cal Quantrill, bases loaded, nobody out in the fourth inning. If the Padres do anything this year, uh, I, I'm not a big hyperbole guy, but that might we might go back and look at that at as that a point. turning point yeah. in the season. That really changed the, the, the complexion of not just the game, but I think the bullpen in general, like, whoa. Because we all expected, oh, here it goes. This is it. They've been good for four days, and then here it goes back to the norm. And no, it didn't. And they finished that game out, and my hat goes off to Jace Tingler. I've been very, very critical of Jace Tingler. He doesn't do um, – or he, he still makes very um, interesting decisions, but you know what? They've worked out. Would I make those same decisions? No. But that's fine. Get the W however you need to. Um, but going back to that, we, the process – flawless the outcome not so much so when we talk about here embedding and stuff like that we focus more on the process because if we get the process right every single time we're going to be just fine yeah now are we going to win every single time no but we're going to win over the 52.5 we're going to be 78 percent um and that was the perfect example of a game that i'm watching going anytime now right anytime <laughs> anytime and then nope game's over and it's like wait did that whole bullpen just go out and get it done for me. Uh, so it was, it was great. And there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about the bullpen that's great, and a lot of talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. Well-deserved. Um, his, his stats speak for themselves. He's probably the early season MVP in the National League, and I don't think it's close. No, I don't think but so either. Somebody else that I want to bring up that has been – not the best player on the Padres, but been the player that I think is carrying this team um, kind of emotionally, and it's Jake Cronenworth. This kid, <laughs> it doesn't matter where you put him. He, he, he hadn't played first base since double A, and he went out and made some unbelievable plays, some plays that Gold Glove Eric Hosmer might not be able to make. Right. Follows it up. By, I think he's hitting over 350. His slugging is in the high uh, high sixes. It's incredible to see this guy. And the biggest part of it for me is his flexibility. Okay. Eric Hosmer makes, you know, the money that he makes. So when he was healthy, he was going to get in the starting lineup. 
Yep. Well, Jake Cronenworth found a home at first base. Well, guess what? Eric Hosmer, if not too many first basemen are interchangeable outside of a DH. It's pretty much first base or bust. Right. Um, and then, so we got to find another, well, Cronenworth can go into second. Look, Jerkson Profar, I know he hit a home run yesterday, but he, he, you're, I, he's like, oh, 98, might've got him over a hundred. I, I like Cronenworth in the two spot. If you can bottle his energy, he's, he's, I've, I believe he's, he's kind of a David Eckstein with a major league body. David <laughs> Eckstein is great. But he was 115 pounds soaking wet, man. Like, and I love the, 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 the World Series where he hit the Grand Slam. He jumped. Like, go watch the replay. He was airborne when he hit that, folks. Yeah. But I love David Eckstein is who you rally upon. And he's the guy. There's a reason that David Eckstein was in the playoffs every year and in the World Series a lot. And Jake Cronenworth, I know it's a really small sample size, but he is been he has been not only a pleasant surprise but a a player that is okay we might have our second baseman of the future like right i greg garcia another guy um not nearly as uh sexy in terms of the you know defensive glove but you need a guy who's going to go up and give you a quality at bat greg is your guy and i'm not saying that because he's from valhalla and he's he's a local kid but that guy's going to go up he's not going to you know Spat a thousand, hit fifty home runs for you, but he every single time he goes up, that pitcher is going to go. God damn, that was yeah. difficult. And I don't want to deal with this guy. Yeah, he's going to give you that professional at bat. He's gonna he's gonna take pitches, gonna battle pitches, just like Eckstein guy. Just you know, and 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 Cronenworth is he he was probably the link to that trade, right? Not not in would resign. Well, at least we got Cronenworth out of it. And wow. he's really put on a display of what could really be something good ahead. I, I, I'm ready to see this guy on the bump. I want to see how he is as a – how he handles that as a pitcher because that was one of the things that they brought up, his, his ability to pitch and field. You know, I saw his AAA numbers. Yeah, they're well above 300, but that's – I've seen a lot of 4A hitters in AAA. This guy's – Nice range defensively. He's got a nice glove. They 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 brought up his pitching acumen at Michigan and then Tampa Bay. I'm kind of I'm interested to, see, especially if that bullpen was like us last week. <laughs> I'm out there. I will, I will say one thing. I actually haven't looked at the lineup. I guess I could check it real quick. But um, Jerkson Profar is not a left fielder, folks. I don't care if he played five games in the left field last year. Or, um, this or that. He is not a left fielder. In a situation where you need him to be an emergency left fielder, okay. But when Tommy Pham, and I, Tommy Pham's struggling, don't get me wrong. And Tommy Pham's had some struggles in left field, but Tommy Pham would have made that catch last night. Oh, um, yeah. And in that situation, uh, it's a shutout. If Tommy Pham is in left field, the Padres, well, okay, no, I forgot the ninth inning. Um, but, you know, that first run wouldn't have scored. So yeah. for me, Tommy Pham, and then I swear this is the last thing, and I'm not trying to be negative because it's, it's great to be a Padre fan right now, but I know Austin Hedges is hitting better, and it's great. Um, four for 10 against the Dodgers, uh, 0 for 17 against everybody else, but hey, at least it's against the Dodgers. We talk about run suppression and stuff like that. Austin Hedges has at least, and maybe one more, but at least three pass balls in his 10 appearances so far this year. That is an inexcusable. 
Okay, I understand he's in there for defensive purposes, but pass balls, I mean, come on. Wild pitches, all right, whatever. It'd be great if you could knock it down, but if not, you did your best, hopefully. But why, uh, pass balls, I mean, he's missing two-seam fastballs. He cannot catch two-seam fastballs sometimes, and it's sometimes it would be more pass balls if there were runners on base. There are plenty of times where he literally drops balls that are luckily called strikes. Um, it happened last night, I believe, to Justin Turner. So rant over. Padres are doing well. I know um, I, I need to be more positive, but um, – we got to give Francisco Mejia a, a chance to start five, six days a, a week to see if this kid can hit if Austin Hedges cannot catch the ba baseball, period. Well, that's the thing. Mejia hasn't hit yet. That's, I yeah. mean, shit, it's there for you, kid. Take it, take it, take it by the by the horns and roll. He just hasn't. The whole offseason, I think we both assumed that Mejia was going to be the DH, right? Right, right. And he hasn't been in that role at all. Because yeah, for good right. reason, he hasn't right. been able to hit. Right. And if that's the case, honestly, I'm going to go with Austin. I 100%. Think he, he just calls a different game. I, I like the way he calls a game. Um, Josh, you set for some Dodger talk? Yeah, we're set for some Dodger talks. But, 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 huge but. Uh, Austin Hedges, he, he laid down a beautiful button yesterday. Yes. And, get, and moved the runners over. That's, you know, he does that. And he, and he, and he uh, he plays good defense and doesn't do pass balls. He's run suppression. I just versus uh, the sluggers that Doctor First likes to slug. In another in another statement, Doctor First said, "I know he's he's saying maybe his girl or somebody around him wants him to be more positive. Us here at the betting podcast, we want him to be more negative because scientific studies have been done that the more cynical, contrarian you are, the better you are." at predicting games. So that's why Dr. First is so good at predicting games. It's because he – I thought it was impossible. But Don't he's even more of a cynical contrarian than I am. I'm a local political uh, corruption historian, to crying out loud. And he's well, probably that's a, that's a little bit more cynical. That's a subject for the show. I don't know if you – But now – but you guys see the spreadsheet right here? Okay. Uh, and this is something key that I've been studying. Uh, your ceiling's 80%, right? Uh, because the way, and we talk about it on a football podcast all the time, that the way you ensure an outcome is by uh, eliminating variables and co-variables to ensure a result, right? So your bottom is probably 20% and your ceiling is 80%. Right now, we are ridiculous with <laughs> capital R, 38-14 NBA. I mean, <laughs> I wake up and I look at the, uh, the uh, bankroll, and it's huge, right, because of the NBA. Uh, overall, we're at around 58%, and we look to kind of go better than that. Today, we are 2-0 baseball. Uh, Houston is tied in the Cubs have a five to one lead. So we're figuring baseball out. So once we figure baseball out, we'll be 80% uh, across the board. Right. And the Raptors look good. Uh, we got six points to play with. And 
The score is I can't believe the Raptors got points, really, because I really figured they were going to win. But right now, it could go either way, though. It's uh, the 76ers, uh, a depleted 76ers team playing against uh, Toronto, who they still want to stay sharp. All those coaches, Nick Nurse, uh, all of them want to stay sharp. Uh, so they're right there. So we got a fighting chance here. It's plus six. They're down by four. You figure it'll go down to the wire. A being experienced team, and I saw uh, Lowry out there. We see Lowry out there. He's in control of the game. He's the point guard. So we got a chance there. Uh, the Pacers with no one but a great coach and Nate McMillan uh, went ahead and they covered the, the Houston Rockets. And then the Thunder are covering for us against the Heat. So we're looking good again today. All right. So, along the same lines of Toronto, uh, I think the Dodgers look really confident. Uh, as far as the management is concerned, as we're going to do our Dodgers briefing, Dodgers betting briefing for this. I think this is, this is the third week of the Major League season, Brad. Yeah, fourth if you want to really get down to like, oh, well, it started on Thursday. But yeah. <laughs> It's been a month of baseball, um, or no, I'm sorry, about three weeks of baseball. About three weeks of baseball, and something the Dodgers have always done, it's almost like a football strategy. Uh, I know if you listen to the uh, podcast with Ben Rasslaft, I asked them, you know, were they looking at the other teams that they were going to play in the uh, season, and were they changing their offense at all? And the answer was yes and yes. So the Dodgers – uh, don't want to put on film to the, they anticipate making the playoffs. Being the top two in the West <laughs> might not be that hard, right? Uh, and they are batting Mookie Betts second. So they're not going to show you what Mookie Betts – because every year is different, right? It could be similar, but every year is different. They're not going to show you what Mickey Betts does in the leadoff position. They're leading off with Pollock. They're leading tonight. They're leading off with um, uh, Peterson, which is always interesting to me, right? And, and it shows the way baseball has changed, and why you you bet the over a lot of these games is because uh, Jock Peterson is a home run hitter. He has decent wheels. He does play center field, but he's a bad base runner. So even though he has uh, great speed. His technique stealing is not good, right? Uh, so that's interesting to me that they're not showing all the cards right away. You won't see all the Dodger cards into the postseason. The other thing with betting the Dodgers, even though we got them tonight, is that the bats haven't uh, started yet. The bats have not uh, have not been hitting on all cylinders. Uh, Dave Roberts was talking today about guys, uh, uh, the whole theory behind going ahead and taking a strike if it's not the right pitch, right? They're doing the opposite right now. So he says that once they start 
uh, zoning in, right? And they always say that pitchers are ahead of batters anyways. So it's philosophy again, right? Some guys, uh, uh, the Cardinals were famous for this. And they got to Kershaw. Uh, if it's a strike, uh, go ahead and foul it off, right? Keep following it off until you get your pitch. Uh, Roberts is saying, go ahead and take it. And if you strike out, you strike out. I don't care. I want you to be zoned in in the pitch. We want you to, to hit, right? And that goes into the heart of anal analytics. So once the Dodgers figure that whole thing out, uh, start writing to Dodgers. Start betting the Dodgers every day and make your money back <laughs> if you bet the Dodgers uh, earlier in the first two games against the Padres. But there were 7-3 coming into the series. The other part of it is that when you're betting the Dodgers and they're on a roll, look for what happened last night. You had Ross Stripling. And Rod Stripling, if you listen to the story, it's the same old Rod uh, Stripling story where he pitches well and then falls apart for one inning. The, the other team gets four or five runs. The rest of the outing is good, but pretty much the game's over. And especially with the Dodger bats not, not dialing in all cylinders. One thing uh, to look at that I feel confident betting the Dodgers, they're probably going to win like 20 in a row at some point and just ride them. But what usually stops the Dodgers streaks like that will be Kelly Jansen. He had the heart problem. Uh, he had the mechanics problem. From what I'm hearing so far, he looks lights out. Have you seen him pitch, Doctor? I'm sorry, that was Ross Stripling you were talking about? Kelly Jansen. Oh, yes, I have. Um, you know, it's funny. For whatever reason, I don't know what the mental side of this is, but he always struggles against the Padres, no matter what. He did struggle. He They got the win. Um, it was Monday night, uh, or last – yeah, I believe it was last – no, it was last Wednesday. I apologize. Um, it was a week from this actual day. Right. Padres actually lost two out of three to the Dodgers last, last week and could have won all three, mainly the Wednesday night game. Jansen ends up giving up a run and loading the bases to the point that – uh, sacrifice fly goes out to left. Trent Grisham tries to score. They throw him out at home. Uh, so you have the play at the plate. He's been lights out except for that one start. Now, the problem with that is he is he struggles against the Padres. I mean, and against players that, you know, a guy at Kenley Jansen's level shouldn't. Um, but by far, Kenley Jansen's best year is happening right now. Now, once again, small sample size. But definitely well, the best him, start he's ever had. Yeah, with him, it's the way he looks. And uh, he looks in good shape, right? Oh, yeah. Right. So I think, that's, I think that's the key for him. And it's not that he doesn't work out. It's not that he doesn't take care of his body. But he's like me. He has a fat gene. It doesn't matter how hard you work out. You're still going to gain weight. And uh, he's taking the extra effort. He's changed his diet because I think that's important. Um, he has more resources than a lot of us to really know how precisely his body metabolizes food, that he is in a lot better shape. He has lights out. And then he has the emotional part of it that uh, he's given up a lot of big runs. And I guess you can forgive him against the Astros, right? When he blew that save in Houston because they knew what pitch was coming. But, uh, he has blown it in other situations against Boston. Maybe Boston knew what pitch was coming to with Alex Cora. Well, he definitely did. 
<laughs> so maybe maybe that was maybe that's it, man. Maybe that's off his mind now, right? Because we all remember Donnie Moore who killed himself after giving up a, a home run to the Boston Red Sox and lost the Angels a chance to go to the World Series with that Reggie Jackson team. So who knows, man? Maybe that is a, a, a weight off his shoulder. And maybe he's a happier guy knowing that, you know, hey, it wasn't 100% his fault. And, and that is kind of odd, right? That he, he lights out or does very well throughout the season. And those two situations lead it horrible. And the same thing for um, Darvish. Darvish looks great. He never looked as horrible as he did against the Astros when they knew what pitch was coming. So there's a lot of happier people there. So when the Dodgers get on that 20-0 roll, go ahead and roll with them. If you're going to bet against them during that streak, do it when Ross Stripling is pitching or Alex Wood. Those are the two guys that I have monetized betting against uh, with all things being equal, right? And that's a big two things with the Dodgers. Mookie Betts batting second, right? Kelly Jansen looking good, lost a lot of weight, is in really good shape. He looks happy out there, and he hasn't blown a save yet, right? Those are two huge betting elements you got to look at uh, with the Dodgers. And then number three, ride the Dodgers when they get on that roll because they're definitely going to get on a roll because the starting pitching is good. The bullpen is held up. The closer, Kelly Jansen, looks good. And there's just too many guys slumping, right? Uh, Turner, Bellinger, Taylor. Taylor's coming back from a, maybe a concussion he had uh, first game of the season at first base. Uh, and Taylor's huge, right, because he's a glue guy, right? He's a guy who doesn't make errors. He's a guy who uh, always gets on base. He makes the right play. It's important on a team that's looking uh, to go to a World Series. So those are two, three elements that you got to look in this Dodgers briefings. You got anything to add, Dr. First? Uh, you know, I just think, obviously, we talked about, or you talked about the, the, the swing in the bat and stuff like that. That's got to, you know, eventually is going to turn around. And a lot of these um, is the analytics side of things taking hits away from guys in terms of we saw it last night honestly jock peterson i commend him i mean you know i root against him but he put a bunt down the third baseline nothing they, i mean it was it was a all he had to do was put it in play um right. and we all know what shift you all know what shift i'm talking about right right all you have to do is put it in play and i, I guarantee you now I'll, I'll keep my eye on it tonight they probably don't shift him tonight and that's how you change things. And that's what I'm seeing with Bellinger. That's what Bellinger – now, I'm not asking Cody Bellinger to put a bunt down or something like that. I'm just saying, last night, I think Mark Grant brought up a really good point. There was a pitch. A, he missed. There was great stat that 40% of his um, – con- 40% of his contact is underneath the ball. He's missing the barrel underneath. What that tells me is – homeboy wants to hit 800 home runs in his career that's fine that's great but you're not cody bellinger anymore you're not going to win mvps playing that type of baseball we saw it last night he's going after pitches that on one one counts might be strikes but they're pitcher strikes you want to swing at that crap fine 
but you swing at that crap on 0-2 or 1-2 to protect. He's swinging at them first pitch or first strike type stuff. He's got to clean that up. I expect he will. Um, will he do it in time? That's the thing. It's a 30 or 60 game season. So everything's magnified. Um, I'm also seeing Mookie Betts hit the ball really hard, but it's at people. That's why, you know, everybody who talks to me about exit velocity, who Manny, Manny Machado's three hardest hit balls that haven't been home runs in the last week, folks have all resulted in double plays. So take your exit velocity with that stat and shove it folks. Um, but that's what the Dodgers need to work on from my kind of unabashed, at least swing in the bat. Dodgers have always been a team that are going to work three ball counts. Doesn't seem like that's happening. Certain guys still are. Max Muncy, Chris Taylor, uh, Justin Turner are doing those things, but the other guys aren't. Um, the Jock, and Jock was never really maybe that guy, but the Cody Bellingers um, and Mookie, I think, is trying to do way too much. I think Mookie's trying to do way too much. And I personally believe the reliance on analytics is going to is continuing to hurt the Dodgers and when I say reliance on analytics the big reason why the Dodgers have Mookie Betts bat second is because of who's starting who is the opening day or who is starting that day yeah I I would disagree I would disagree knowing Dave Roberts has said against lefties Mookie Betts is going to be my leadoff guy which doesn't make sense to me because personally you are now allowing the team that you are playing to set your lineup. Now, Jock Peterson couldn't hold Mookie Betts' jock strap when it comes to swinging a bat. Mookie Betts needs to lead off no matter what. You gave him $350 million. I don't care if you got to – he's got to be able to lead off against right-handers. And that's my biggest thing with Friedman and and um, and, and Roberts and things like that. I, I, I just blows my mind. Blows my mind. Yeah, but Roberts isn't going to give out strategy out publicly, right? Like Steve well, we've said. seen it when they face left-handers, Mookie will start or will lead off. And then when they face right-handers to start, uh, either Muncie or a left-hander pretty much will lead off. And that's pretty much been the, you know, smoke signal through the, through the glass, which I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, Bellinger struggled in the World Series a couple years back. I think a big reason why is because he knew, oh, crap, if the Red Sox throw out a lefty, I'm not playing today. You're letting the other team set your lineup. It's, it's too heavy a reliance on analytics in baseball. I think the Dodgers have pushed just a little too far. Now, the talent will probably still make up for it. This is a playoff team. They're still probably going to represent the National League in the World Series. Um, but, yeah, for right now, the, the, the swinging the bat, um, they need to kind of chill out on swinging the bat, if you will. You need to be more selective and um, – uh, not not try and hit bombs every single day. I know chicks dig the long ball, but you know station to station baseball is good too. Right. So I guarantee you, I'll bet you, I'll bet you money. We can have a bet between you and I that when playoffs start, Mookie Bist is going to be leading off. Doesn't matter if it's a right hander, left hander, ambidextrous. <laughs> Mookie Bist oh, is going to stand because I hope so. He's going to be the best gonna, gonna, gonna lead, Yeah, because he he has too much speed. And in a playoff situation, uh, as good a hitter as Mookie Betts is, you need him in the layoff spot, setting up, uh, setting the tone, and you need him on the base paths because that's been the big problem with the Dodgers, is that their minor league system hasn't been uh, either a produced guys with speed on the base paths, or b has not taught them the proper way to run the base paths. 
Uh, it's always been a Dodgers Achilles heel the last three to four years. And uh, Mookie Betts is the opposite of that. He has the wheels, and he's very, very good. He's very good uh, technical-wise, running the base pads, right? So that's your Dodgers briefing. I think it was comprehensive. We got everything. And the Dodgers are deep. If you want to look at depth when you're betting them three or four in a row, Kiki Hernandez is hitting over 300, which is huge because he's really in there for defense. So if he can do both like that, like he does. But the thing about Kiki Hernandez that I like also is that he's a timely hitter. He's clutch. So even in the days where he's batting 250, uh, you know, in that range, he's always been a timely hitter. He's a clutch guy. So, and he's, you know, he, he's, uh, he's clutch. And he also came back from both sides of the plate. All right, so that's your Dodgers briefing. We always end with Winston Churchill. You make a life from your labor, but you make, you make a living from your labor, but you make a life from what you give. Thank you for listening to the ESPC Podcast Network. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use. <clears throat> and they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN betting and team report podcast. It helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started, my brothers. Thank you.